Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. My guest on this episode is Andrew Bartlow, who brings us 25 years of human resources and talent management experience to share stories, wisdom, and insights earned while supporting organizations of all sizes, stages, and complexity. Andrew is a co-author of Scaling for Success, People Priorities for High Growth Organizations. He also leads Series B Consulting, which helps businesses articulate their people strategy and accelerate their growth while navigating change. Andrew founded the People Leader Accelerator, a preeminent development program for startup HR leaders. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Andrew, who also invites you to reach out to him via LinkedIn to connect and learn more. And if you do, feel free to mention you heard his story on Coffee and Change, and he will send you a full-length workbook of one of his People Leader Accelerator guides for free. Enjoy the discussion, and happy listening. My name is Andrew Bartlow, and I am an HR guy. I've been doing this human resources work for more than 25 years now at companies very large and very small, Fortune 50 to less than 50 employees, and have led the HR function four or five, maybe six times, depending how you count mergers and acquisitions. And maybe four years ago, I, uh, I, I pulled my golden parachute and hung my single shingle as a consultant and advisor uh, and investor uh, in high growth companies. And, and uh, that led to writing my, my bucket list book that Columbia University was kind enough to publish, um, Scaling for Success. And uh, today I spend uh, most of my time either mentoring HR leaders one-on-one, uh, working with uh, a particular private equity company portfolio, um, or supporting a number of venture-backed tech startup HR leaders. And um, one of the primary ways that I do that is through my uh, professional education program that my co-author and I from the book created uh, called People Leader Accelerator. And it's like an executive MBA for Mm -hmm. HR people in the high growth context. Wow, awesome. So one question I'd love to start off with is I'm very curious about people's origin stories. You'd mentioned you've been doing HR for 25 years. How did you arrive at HR uh, in the beginning? Yeah, a lot a lot of people fall into this line of work, you know, un- unintended. Uh, I'm, I'm the opposite. It was very intentional. I, uh, I grew up in central Illinois um, in the, you know, in the mid- to early 90s, Caterpillar, the big equipment manufacturer, was going through a, 
a lengthy labor strike with United Auto Workers. So it was the front page of the Peoria Journal Star every day for three years, and everybody was involved in that uh, in that labor management conflict. And it was kind of a company town. And uh, I wanted to be where the action was. And that was during my formative years in you know, high school crossing over into college. And when people would ask me what I want to be when I grow up, I, I would say, I want to be the labor negotiator. I want to be the, the person that's sorting out the, the company, the worker, the community uh, impacts. And um, had anticipated law school, got accepted to some of the best. Um, ended up following a really specialized track. There was a little tiny, highly specialized human resources program that happened to be, arguably, Cornell might argue with me, uh, arguably the the best in the world at University of Illinois. Uh, so I, I went straight through and got my master's and, and haven't looked back. You know, I, I love that story because you don't meet a lot of people who say to themselves, I want to be the labor relations guy. That's a very unique superhero <laughs> role. Um, and if I could share a story with you, there was, there's a good friend that I have uh, that I met in the HR space uh, over the course of my career. And he was head of labor relations for a large university. And I remember, um, as you talk about the United Auto Workers and the, the strike, um, this particular university had a series of uh, disputes with teaching assistants. And many of us have read about, you know, professors and teaching assistants. And, um, and these teaching assistants were approached, I believe, by the United Auto Workers as a union um, when the UAW was probably um, seeking more, more uh, membership. So I remember working with this particular person and all of a sudden outside the building, were um, hundreds of people protesting at signs and um, they were protesting because that was the office where the labor relations uh, was. Uh-huh. And we were in a meeting and in the middle of this meeting, he said, pardon me for a second, um, I just need to place a call. And I said, is that is that to do with the the session you're hosting later? And he said, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be with you in a minute. And he proceeded to call Domino's Pizza and he ordered pizzas to be delivered to the front of the building. And I thought it was kind of ingenious. I said, well, first of all, what are you doing? And um, one of the things, he wasn't doing it to bribe anybody, right? He told me later on what he was doing was to make sure that when they came to said meeting later that afternoon, they weren't hungry or hangry. And two, he was just looking for a little bit of peace and quiet so he could have the meetings in the morning and he didn't have to listen to the yelling. And chances are if people are eating, they're not yelling. I just thought that was a very interesting <laughs> take on it. Um, but this person was also a genius in many, many different ways. He was a labor relations person by day, and he was a stage actor by night and weekend. So it was fascinating to see, sort of see him use his creativity, his you know dexterity, his understanding of people and the way they move. So I love that you told that story about how you wanted to be in that space. Did you end up in labor relations? Like, did you did you? get there when you when you watch the drama you know ensue with caterpillar and uaw i did i did i ended up um serving as the lead spokesperson for the company um at several employers on several different uh, labor contracts I, I was at pepsi and negotiated a handful of uh, uh of contracts and in, in the upper midwest in michigan i think and mm-hmm. uh at general electric 
I helped negotiate a handful of contracts, both in Canada and in the U.S. Now, to to your point, it is a pretty specialized field, and after only mm-hmm. a a handful of years in the working world, I was I was already deeper in labor relations than um, than you know more than a hundred or two hundred people in the entire U.S. And I I saw that there was more opportunity for me professionally following the human resources career track. And so my, my eyes had been opened around what some of the possibilities were in, in this HR career. Um, mm-hmm. you know, L- LR was really interesting. And I, I feel like that gave me particularly strong grounding in the business. Yeah. As you're negotiating a contract, you're thinking about work rules and you're thinking about not just cost, but the cost of retirement and the value of um, working with the union to get different types of schedules or overtime situations. And so I, I was in spreadsheets um, more often than just about any HR person was. And, and I was really focused on understanding the impact to the business. Uh, and that skill or that muscle uh, carried with me through my career and I, I think helped differentiate me from, um, from many human resources practitioners. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, even as you talk about that, you use the word impact, which is which is a word I love, because as you can imagine, in the world of change management, which is the um, sort of the upbringing I came in over the past two decades, I worked a lot with HR partners and HR leaders. And as I mentioned, labor relations in some cases. And one of the the enjoyable parts of that partnership was I always got to focus on the impact to the people. And the the importance of understanding the lines of business, also understanding compliance, also understanding, you know, regulation, work rules, etc. But never losing sight of the human component to this. So a place I'd love to take the conversation because I know you've, you know, I've I've heard um, a recent panel that you were on in March 2022, where you talked about um, the human aspect of kind of where we are in this world, you know, I think you were talking specifically about flexibility and understanding the impact of a hybrid work world for people. So, you know, given your expertise in HR, um, I mean, a question that that I sit with is, when do we get back to the human part of human resources <laughs> in this world? Uh, and I feel like we're doing that more, but maybe it took a pandemic to drive us in that direction, but I don't want to assume. So I'd love, I'd love your thoughts on, on some of this because I, I know it's something that in your organization and your in your thought leadership you, you talk a lot about. Yeah, um, well, thank you, and and uh, uh, very appropriate and timely topic and question. You know, I and maybe I can couch this in. I see myself as an observer of what's happening in the economic and business world around us um, rather than an advocate. So I don't have any skin in the game to try to push the world to be more more remote or push for a different type of interaction between um, employers and, and their workers. You know, so my, um, my, my take on things, frankly, can be a little cynical sometimes. And, and what I'm seeing is that there are ebbs and flows. It's a bit like a tug of war or a teeter totter, where sometimes the employer 
worker relationship is tilted to more power by one party than the other. Often is. Early, um, early industrial age, of course, you know, employers had all the power and that's when unions sprung up, right? So unions were intended to rebalance the power. Then we move into, you know, employment for life at some of these, you know, long-standing, well-thought-of companies, Procter & Gamble and, you know, pensions, and uh, you'd, you'd work someplace for 30 years and look for your 30 and out. And then we moved into, you know, eventually restructuring and uh, leveraged buyouts and cost cutting. And, you know, the employer power, you know, continued to be um, much stronger than the worker. And, you know, pardon the history lesson, I'm, I'm ultimately getting to, I, I think, I think the present day. I love history, um, so bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, with the rise of technology, as jobs can be posted anywhere and workers can access those alternatives more easily and the rise of um, rating organizations like Yelp or Glassdoor or a star rating on Indeed, uh, workers now have more information to make choices. And you know, boy, pay transparency is moving us more in that in that direction of a, a more balanced, maybe even favoring the workers in terms of information. What what information do workers have to be able to make choices about where they want to work? Um, and I'd suggest that the pandemic was a really significant impact on worker and company power. Um, you know, at first there were lots of layoffs at the very front end of, uh, of the pandemic. And then people revisited what they wanted to do under what circumstances. And we found the, the tightest labor market maybe in history um, in, in terms of trying to find particularly skilled workers to do the work that was needed. Now with the bear market upon us, we're, we're speaking here at the end of September, 2022, um, inflation is high, stock market is massively down year to date, companies are tightening their belts. And the work that I'm being called in to do is less about growth and more about cost cutting. Um, you know, that's what's on more companies' minds. So I, I'd suggest that that worker and company power teeter-totter has been has been wildly swinging over the past couple of years um with this rise of the information age though i think it it's favoring more mobility by workers it's favoring more choice uh, more more knowledge and more access to alternatives favors workers um and, and that allows people to decide what's important to them um you know, do I want to work at a place that's reputed to be kind of tough and might be less flexible but pays really well? Or am I willing to trade that off for um, a more flexible environment and maybe more of a market rate situation? Or am I compelled by the mission and purpose of some organization and they're able to articulate that really well and that, that pulls me in? So I, I think this access of information is shifting more power to workers and we'll see how long it takes the employers to catch up. And frankly, that's that's some of the work that I'm doing is trying to help employers better articulate or or create for the first time 
um, their employment value proposition, their EVP? What do you stand for that's different, that's differentiated from the alternatives and how are you getting that story across? Not just employ employment branding, like that's not just like, you know, best places to work awards, but that's like legitimately, rationally, objectively, what are you providing that somebody, that somebody down the road or across the country can't or won't provide? Yeah, I think it's so interesting when you talked about the increase of information and how that ultimately leads to more availability of choice. And I would almost say agency, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I know this is not the case. I want to be very conscious. It's not the case for everyone because, you know, I, I have a lot of family that are frontline workers, right? And, and their options were not the same and the choice was not the same because of their situation. But as you describe the information economy, as you describe the sort of intellectual property creation machine that um, we face in, in digital transformation as it's become a daily motion, the amount of choice did go up for people. Um, the question became, is a company or as an individual, are we ready for the choice that, that might be made one way or another? And I think that's really fascinating how you talk about your working with employers now or companies now to formulate and, you know, this employee kind of values, you know, proposition or, or, or positioning or principle, set of principles, because, and, and I'm not sure if you use the word conviction or convicted, you might have used that word. That's kind of the, the word that just came up in me. It's, that's where we're, we get to see that come to life, right? Like we, 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 we test our convictions and we say, what do I really stand for? And, and where do I want to spend my time and who do I want to be? You know, a company you'd mentioned in a previous panel um, that you said you admired, I also admire as well, is Adobe. And one of the tenets that they put out there, and I would love for you to talk a little bit about, is um, flexibility by default. Um, and, and it's so interesting because when you, when you think of even the words by default, that's a pretty um, bold thing to say um, in a world that's changing constantly. So I'm, I'm curious to the work that you've done, the work that you've seen, um, what, it, like, what resonated for you when you think about the Adobes of the world? Um, well, n now I know which panel you watched and, and listened to. That, that's <laughs> from the, uh, the HR Transform Conference, mm -hmm. uh, March of, uh, of, must have been this year. 22, 22. yeah. 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 And I was on a uh, panel talking about women in the workplace and, you know, how to how to access and, and support more more females in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And and flexibility was one of the was one of the ways to access that talent pool. Mm -hmm. um, you know, regardless of gender, flexibility is a meaningful attract attractor and retention factor. Right. Um, and I called out Adobe having some really impressive practices around flexibility in the workplace, um, specifically the directive that they recently gave to all managers that flexibility, meaning in office versus out of office, hours of work, that, that sort of thing. So thinking about like distributed hybrid uh, in office decisions in particular, um, gave a strong directive when possible 
and you as the manager of this team or department or whatever, you get to be the arbiter of that. But the company directive, I, I love the elegance of this, was whenever possible, the answer is yes. And here's a list of high quality uh, tools and talking points and resources that will help educate you as the manager about things that can be done, about ideas for how to set things up, about our perspective as an organization uh, that help those managers sort through discussions with their their team members. And so the, the managers were asked at all levels, and this is a very large organization, um, to initiate proactively conversations with everyone that worked for them um, about their need for flexibility. And I, I just thought that was, that was uh, proactive, prescient, um, and, and powerful as you think about what is our EVP? Why would someone want to work here rather than somewhere else? As, as so many employers are still trying to hold on to whatever, however things used to work, they, they moved on quickly. They, um, they, meaning Adobe, assessed the current environment, decided to run with it. And, uh, and I think they get some real advantages out of doing that. Yeah, the other thing that really kind of just resonates with me is when you said that wherever possible, start with the answer, yes, start with yes. That in some way, it's almost counterintuitive to the HR compliance, uh, dare I say, era of the 80s and 90s, right? Which was, let's, the answer starts with no, and then we work off a no until we can get to a place. Is that is that an accurate assessment of someone who's, as, as you said, right? I'm not an advocate, I'm an, I'm an observer or an agnostic observer. That's been the benefit of my career in change management. I'm very agnostic. I don't care what tool you choose. I don't care what process you choose. I don't care, you know, who you, wh which organization you bring in. I want to help the people ultimately be better and healthier and happier in that change. So um, is my assessment of that sort of flip, uh, start with yes, as opposed to start with no, is that accurate? Um, I, I agree. I agree that it is an unusual stance to start with yes. In you know today's highly litigious environment, I I live and do a lot of my work in the San Francisco Bay Area of California. You know, insert eye roll and joke here about you know all of the many litigious issues and and uh, density of compliance requirements that that we have uh, in the Bay and in California, and, and that has dominated human resources. Uh, management attention for for many years right uh, there there are an awful lot of business leaders that when they interview HR leaders and I actually intervene to help them you know expand expand their perspective um, that's some of the work that I do for the PE and VC firms of hey listen business leader you probably don't know what good looks like in the human resources function like partner up with with someone that's been there done that that can help you sort it out as you as you select your leaders. So it, anyway, I diverted a little bit. When many business leaders interview human resources professionals, they start with the assumption of your role exists to handle payroll, benefits, and complaints. And I want you to keep us out of jail. Um, and we'll have a conversation if I want to do something that 
might be in the gray area and then I'll make I'll make the decision you won't. And, and that's that's not a terribly strategic seat at the table, you know, management and leadership role even though many of those HR roles have big titles and you know sit on the leadership team or report wherever they report. So <clears throat> I'd suggest that there's a much greater opportunity for human resources leaders to expand their own minds. And you know, we, we use very freely the word, we meaning HR leaders, use very freely the word seat at the table and I wanna be more strategic. But it starts with us. It starts with us understanding what that really means and what the impact of the organization is. And what can we do if you wear the hat of compliance cop that's very different than you you wearing the hat of management consultant. And you know, thinking about the labor relations um, roots that that I have and this this field comes from, w would you as a business owner, business leader, invite the union steward to sit at the table to be part of your senior team, this person who's advocating for the workers, often to the detriment of the organization? somewhat combatively, uh, would you invite the union steward to be at that table? Probably not. Well, you sure as heck don't want to act that way in your human resources role either, right? So yes, advocate for employees. Yes, try to have a great place to work, but do that within the context of what's best for the organization rather than being highly one-sided. And so there, there are a number of traps that HR professionals can fall into in terms of advocacy and, and perspective. And, and we often lose sight on the, the reason our role exists at organizations is to help that organization be more successful. And we, we make some pretty massive logic leaps sometimes around, like if we treat the people well, the company will do well. Well, there, there's some boundaries and limitations and thresholds involved in all that, that we, we could probably do a better job collectively of, of understanding. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. Everything's a balance, right? And, and one of the things I really appreciate as you were talking about, it starts with self, right? It's a mindset piece of it. And one of the, one of the things I've experienced over the course of, of my career is when I do get to work with chief human resources officers or chief people officers. And we we end up talking about the thing that is top of mind for them or the change that an organization might be uh, about to face. We talk about that topic, right? And the topic has uh, the four walls around it. But what's really interesting is I've always found that the conversation elevates right after we finish that that topic and we continue the walk maybe down the hall again some of this was pre-pandemic right so you would finish that meeting and then we continue to walk to whatever the next meeting is or walk to the uh, coffee station or maybe go to lunch and it was in that moment that that officer or that that person representing hr or portion of the people side of the business would actually open up and you would see this whole other side of them that was anchored in what they imagined and what they hoped and what they loved to see. 
And I found that the partnership between sort of a change leader and those folks really blossomed in those moments. But oftentimes it wasn't in the bounds of an agenda. It was it was in the walks, it was in the talks, it was in the, hey, can I bend your ear for a second? And it always struck me that I left them wanting more. And I, I just would try and find ways in which I could partner with them to say, okay, maybe that can't be an HR-led thing. Can we start it in under the realm of transformation and change? Like, what's a way that I could help move this forward? And those relationships continue to this day with many people across, not just clients, um, but also people I worked with, people I used to work with. And I'm grateful for that. But I'm just curious your, your thoughts on that. Was that common where, yes, you talk about the stuff you got to talk about, right? Block, block topic. And then there's this desire for more, to try more. Uh, I, I think it's, it's common for many people, many leaders, professionals in all fields and functions to have a, a foot in both worlds of the, the practical, tactical, executional items that need to happen today. What's top of mind? What do, I, what do I need to do? And boy, you can really, you can fill up a day, week, or career with those things. Um, and, and on the other end of the spectrum is the visioning and the big ideas. And, you know, here's what I'd love to see. And, you know, that, that tends to be an area that, that senior leaders um, have more perspective on or maybe have more of a pull. I, in my book, I talk about the prophet who's able to, you know, stand on the mountaintop and surround themselves with, um, with true believers and attract talent in that way. Um, what is often missing is the hardest stuff to do, and that's what's in the middle. You know, wh what is not necessarily practical, tactical, executional today, but will help us get to whatever that vision is? And how do you get started? What are the most important things to work on? So, you know, put it in the context of the Eisenhower matrix, the, the classic four block of, you know, importance versus urgency. And these are the highly important things that don't need to happen today or tomorrow, that you can kick the can down the road indefinitely and often never happen because they're not urgent. And so it's that, it's that area that I think more people could put more attention into is how to pull yourself out of the practical, tactical, day-to-day -day executional stuff. I've got all these meetings on my calendar. I've got to do the budget. I need to you know, do these interviews to, I want to help our organization be the number one strongest attractor and retainer of talent in the world or in our industry. That, that's kind of a very big picture thing that could be more highly specified, but what are the most important things to get there? What are those um, selected activities and initiatives that you don't have to work on today, but if you don't work on them someday, you're never going to make progress. And so I, I spend a lot of my mentoring time and advising time working with HR leaders and, and sometimes business leaders, CEOs, founders, helping them to identify what are the handful of most important things for you or your organization. Or if you're an HR leader, what's most important to your org? And then how do the things that you're working on tie to that at the org level? And so it, 
prioritizing, you know, Franklin Covey, big rocks kind of stuff. Um, and, and just building that bridge between the stuff that you're doing today and where you eventually want to be at. I feel like it's really easy for people that are just in the, in the throes of work to put their head down and kind of get, get put on, you know, rails, um, and, and not look up and, and reassess, am I actually making progress in the direction that I say I want to go in? And that could be where change management and transformation comes in to give you that perspective and give you that, that framework to move forward. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, um, reminds me a little bit of, you know, and I would love for you to talk about the people leader accelerator as well as your own golden parachute story here. But one of the things as you were talking about what, what came up for me was that, that messy middle, right. <laughs> Which is, uh, yes, I want to do all these things, but I have to do all these things. And there's that stuff in the middle that I'd like to get to, but we just can't make traction on. And one of the things that really stood out to me in, in looking at the work you're doing with the people, you know, people leader accelerator was, you know, in some of the testimonies that I saw in some of the videos, people talk about three C's that jumped out to me, community, curiosity, and curation. And what I got in, in out of it was, wow, you're bringing people together that are in different roles to talk about that, what you just said, talk about, hey, how do I take this thing that I've been ideating for a couple years and take a first step? Like, you know, if we were meeting, you would say, Bill, what would you do in the situation? Or we meet with Angela, Angela, what's the, break it down for me. What are the three things you first did? You don't have to have the full plan, but help me understand how to get started. And as I was reviewing some of the work that you've done in that space and creating this, that's what really resonated with me was, wow, you're getting people together to allow them to have conversations that frankly, some of them may be afraid to have within their four walls of their organization, but they can go to a place like an accelerator, a sort of intellectual virtual MBA type thing and ask those critical questions that come from a place of vulnerability, honesty, and true desire for growth. Thank you. Yeah, that's the idea. I, I was really lucky to ride a rocket ship and be in the at the right place at the right time as a company went public and got big and successful. And I'd like to think that I contributed in some way to that. And the career experiences that I had helped me and be in that right place at the right time. And, and, you know, reflecting on that luck as I pulled my parachute and tried to figure out how I would be relevant and useful in the world afterwards. And heck, I, I semi-retired in my early mid forties. Um, and you know, I, I, I say that with, I was lost. I didn't know what the heck to do with myself. Um, was a really terrible stay at home dad for about six months and, you know, got started on the book, but like, Hey, I'd been doing this work intensely for a long time, 20 plus years. And, and there was this hole. And so I, I went through a lot of reflection around like, what, what could I do that's useful? And, you know, it, it ultimately landed on. I know this work really well. I've had lot, lots of stubbed toes and you know, bruised knees and you know, school of hard knocks along the way. And can I help other HR leaders be more successful? Which often means being more strategic. I 
keep hearing that out here in the Bay Area and in the tech world, like be more strategic and, and re, you know, really regardless of geography or, or uh, industry, you hear the same refrains, but it, it's often very quickly clear. You peel back one layer. And most folks don't really know what that means. They don't even know what it means for them. And, and so that's, that's the, the deepest foundation of People Leader Accelerator. And, and really the book, the book, the book Scaling for Success, we try to boil it down to what are the basics? So many people get distracted trying to do the, all the things. And you know, I talk about you can move 30 things an inch or three things a mile. And chances are you and your organization would, would benefit from focus and moving those most important things forward. And, and so the, the foundation of People Leader Accelerator is identifying what's important. And that, a big part of that is understanding that the context you're in, and I try to make it really highly targeted, it is, I mean, it's selective. We, we turn away <clears throat> more applicants than we accept to the program. And I, I don't share that to try to be elitist and we're not competing with Harvard for, for uh, participants, um, but the cohort experience is really important. You know, if you have a small group of people that you're asking to get really vulnerable and talk about their fears and their challenges and their missteps, um, you you want them to see in their small group people that are experiencing the same stuff, that are at similar organizations and similar roles with similar challenges. And so that's why we focus, you know, exclusively on the top HR leader at high growth, typically venture back tech companies. I'd say it's usually series A through D and most commonly like B, B and C rounds of institutional funding. And, and uh, yeah, that, that community, that cohort experience is really powerful. And we, we try to expose those human resources leader to what the role can be and do a lot of reflection on what is the role of human resources? Who are your stakeholders? What's important to them? And then how does that influence what you work on? Um, and, and those are like kind of basic MBA type activities, but a, a lot of us in, in this field have not had the benefit of doing that, or it's been a long time since we applied some of those tools to ourselves and our work. Thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about People Leader Accelerator. I mean, it's it's my passion project. I'm, um, you know, it, it'll never be big. I don't want to scale it. There's no tech behind it other than Zoom and Dropbox. Uh, but it, but it's my way to contribute to the to the field, to the function, to try to elevate human resources in my you know little little way. Um, and I, I think I heard you going to the work has changed. Yeah, yes and no. I, I don't know if the work really has changed. If the core work is to contribute to the success of your organization, that hasn't changed. Now, how you do it, sure, That's but that's the tactics. Um, are you working more on your EVP and your employment brand and your remote work policies and programs? Are you addressing diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging topics? Are you thinking about pay transparency um, 
or are you trying to drive you know more directly productivity and efficiency within the workplace and you know performance management is back again and you know what does that look like in your organization um so i don't know i, I would just i think my my theme is to get grounded in what's most important for your org and make sure that you're working on the stuff that most directly connects to that yeah there's um well first of all let me also say as someone who who literally this is a passion project that we're talking on right now um you you know you had talked about this is a passion project for you and it's basically zoom dropbox and a few other things um i really appreciate that you share that because that's what this is right what started off is <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a blue Yeti mic and a laptop for me, and then add Zoom and has evolved over the course of five, six years. Um, it's entirely run by me. There's no tech behind it, right? Like I, I, I taught myself how to do sound production and editing and and because it's a passion and because there's no currency that could sort of replicate the feeling, the joy that we get in this type of work that we get to do in, in curation and bringing people together and the other piece I really appreciated that you shared was you said in your own golden parachute story, you had to get to a place where you felt lost to actually then understand what it was that was calling you to do, to bring you to this. So those two things I really want to thank you for sharing, because I think so many people think, one, you have to have this huge machine behind to, to be able to affect change in the world. You don't. And the other part of it is it's often when we stop and we realize um, I haven't actually let enough stillness or silence or sense of being lost happen in order to understand what it is I want to contribute, leave, make in this world. Um, and I think those are the really powerful change stories. So I, I, I want to thank you for sharing both of those aspects. Yeah, well happy to um and, and hey those are some of the stub toes and skin knees i i talked about you know you, you have to you have to fumble around in the dark sometimes before you can find the light and maybe that analogy is a little, little too cheesy or deep but um yeah you know, I, I i took a executive coaching certification program um you know berkeley executive coaching institute berkeley's right around the corner residential really expensive, really intense. People cried and hugged and you know, did all the Berkeley things that you would, you would expect. Um, and that was one of the things that helped me, um, you know, center myself, you know, as you, as you look to help others and you look to engage like, Hey, if I want to be a coach and I actually don't call what I do coaching, I call it mentoring and advising because they don't check my 25 years of HR experience at the door. And a coach would, you know, more offer the container and, ask penetrating questions where people can self-discover. Anyway, my, my point is that going through a coaching program actually allowed me to do a lot of introspection on what do I want and how can I contribute and how do I want to position myself? And and that was, that was immensely helpful to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's more people that, you know, as we talk about like CHROs and chief people officers, one of the other things I have noticed in my conversations with people is oftentimes they're in a position where they can afford that option or that luxury or that uh, pathway to others because they're in the they're in the business of people development and too often they do not afford themselves that um, 
And I, I think it's it's a great reminder that we too, who are in these roles or guiding people through or guiding a business through, we too have to do the work. Um, which kind of brings me to the last last point I'd love to have you talk about. Where can people find more about you, the Accelerator, your book? I would love for you to to kind of share that so that people who listen to this conversation know of others who might benefit can connect with you and the great work that you're doing um, as we've talked through today. Yeah, well, thank you, Bill. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn, and that's probably the the best hub um, to you know check out the various things that I'm working on, and I, I'll post uh, thoughts and uh, perspectives pretty regularly there. I don't tweet. I don't Facebook. I LinkedIn. Um, and you'll find there that, uh, you know, People Leader Accelerator, you can, you know, easily access. And we've talked a, a decent amount about the, the most in-depth kind of flagship program that we have, the 16-week executive MBA, like very small selective cohort. But we also do um, a wider variety of of things that are intended to uh, be helpful to a, a broader audience. So we have workbooks on some of the most common things that HR leaders um, are are challenged with. Um, we have, you know, open enrollment and and ad hoc uh, working sessions where you, you pick a topic, and myself or another faculty member will just go deep with you or your team on it. We're doing an HR business partner skill building program um, here coming up, which I'm really, really excited about. And so that that's all under the umbrella of People Leader Accelerator. And uh, I have my little single shingle consulting outfit called Series B Consulting. And that's where I, I do my work with the PE firm and you know a couple of VCs and a project here and there and do some one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Um, and the book, um, I should probably put that up a little bit more prominently on, on my uh, LinkedIn. The, the book is called Scaling for Success. Uh, it, it's, it's about people management practices at high growth, high change companies. And so it's got this foot in academia and it's got a foot in real life practice and you have know, loads of templates and, and tools and you know, stuff that would hopefully be you know, helpful to somebody doing the work, not just theory and not just stories. Um, so yeah, th those are the primary things I'm working on and would really love to connect with your audience. Maybe we can make an offer to uh, you know, people that uh, listen into this podcast, do something special for them. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that would be uh, probably one of the first times I've done that. So I'd be happy to happy to help explore that for you. I do know there's a lot of people out there that are facing that, you know, the challenge that we sort of touched on, the burnout, the turnover in this field. You mentioned HR business partners. They are some of the hardest working people I know. And um, the work doesn't stop, right? Just, I mean, it just keeps coming and coming as because of what we talked about today. So I, I really appreciate you mentioning that and, and we'll encourage people to reach out. Um, thank you also for just sharing your story, a bit of your origin story. And, you know, you're, to me, one of the things I'm noticing, and maybe it's just because I finished the book, The Alchemist, recently, but there's a power in people leading from the heart and sort of listening to their heart. Um, and those of us that are in the space where we get to be in the business of people, it, it means a lot um, for others to hear that leaders are giving themselves permission to, to lead from the heart and 
good business follows, right? Um, so thank you, uh, you know, first and foremost for for joining and sharing your story. Would love to, you know, work on something where we point people to that um, who listen. And certainly, if there's anything I can do to echo out the goodness you're you're putting out into the world, feel free to reach out. Thank you, thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. 